Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I talk to a leader who is a digital marketer, brand strategist, and community developer in New York City, and is a long-term meditator. Her father, being a Zen Buddhist priest, has had an enormous impact on her life. As she's come of age, she's noticed an internal conflict in terms of her aspirations: one, to be as calm, connected, and not attached to outcomes in life, and at the same time. Being extremely driven and passionate about what she wants to achieve in this life, trying to reconcile the difference between being so enlivened with a passion and a drive to achieve things, and not being attached to outcomes, that throws back to an ancient conversation about the principle of attachment and non-attachment. In this conversation, I believe we shed a new light on it that you might find very helpful. Hi. Hi. So as we've spoken before, I grew up with a very wise father who was a Zen Buddhist priest or is a Zen Buddhist priest and uh, had the great privilege of being able to touch base with him when I, I was you know, struggling with something. And one thing that I really wrestled with as a kid was perfectionism. I was very ambitious and am very ambitious and wanted to make something great of myself, contribute to the world and be successful. And that often caused me a lot of pain when that didn't line up, when I failed or disappointed myself, didn't get the marks that I expected. And I often discuss this with my dad and uh, he would come back to the same advice, which was around being committed to your action without attachment to the results. Hmm. And I think that's a lot of what Buddhism specifically gets at, and certainly meditation at large, is this uh, ability to release yourself from attachment. However, what I wrestled with as someone who was ambitious is there's a risk there, I felt, of then becoming passive and disengaging with your environment. And I think that's often a misconception that people have and um, almost a hesitation they have in, in opening themselves up to meditation is, well, but I don't want to end up becoming removed or not caring anymore. Yeah. And I think especially right now, this, this next phase of me struggling with this is everything going on in the world right now of how do I engage with my environment and care about things without letting it affect me so deeply still feeling, but again, releasing from that attachment. So I'd love to hear from you, your experience and how meditation can help with that in reconciling passion and, and dedication and ambition, but not letting that cause suffering. Yeah. I think that your father is a very wise man. <laughs> <laughs> My version of that is that life is the process itself. And that simply means that all that's really required of us is to be present and to participate in the ever-unfolding moment and to connect with our innate desire and capability to be expressive of that thing that's inside of us and to systematically remove anything that inhibits and blocks that from flowing and to recognize that it, it is not that it is not the outcome that provides us with the fulfillment. It's not the, it's not the fruit of our labor that provides us with the fulfillment. 
It is the ability to act on our desire and be in a constant process of connecting with the deeper why I am doing this. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that I think is most elusive to people that are, you know, seeking fulfillment through their action is the belief that it is the fruit of the commitment and dedication that is going to be the thing that fulfills us. I talk about love being in an internally referenced phenomenon. Fulfillment is also an internally referenced phenomenon. It's something that happens inside of you where you feel whole and complete because you are able to be fully expressive of what it is you know yourself to be. And in the process, failure is contextualized as learning. And that was the wisdom that your father was presenting to you, is that all of these things that you're getting anxious about, where you perceive that they are bad, that they reflect um, some, that they reflect that you are either incapable, unworthy, or that the universe is somehow conspiring against your desire, (laughs) that you have this desire that the universe is not in agreement with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these are the things that can become terribly debilitating if if we we invest in them. And I use the term attachment and non-attachment very sparingly and very... Uh, carefully, mm-hmm. because there is a trendiness because of the popularization of Buddhism to use that term. I'm not attached. I'm not attached. I'm not <laughs> attached. And what we're seeking is this kind of supreme state of non attachment. The reality is that we as human beings attach, and we need to be very clear in our distinctions between healthy attachment and unhealthy attachment. Healthy attachment is a deep, heartfelt connection to your reason why you're doing it and investing all of yourself into it because you care about it. There is an attachment. There is a a connection. We have an attached meaning to it. If we remove that, then we are in danger of becoming disassociated. And that's something that does happen in certain meditation practices. And in actual fact, in some of the more austere monastic traditions, that's the pinnacle experience. (laughs) Become as disassociated as you can and just sit there still and quiet. Now, if that floats your boat, then great. That's fine. For me personally, I want to experience the fullness of my creativity, the power of my creative desire, uninhibited by fear and unleash it in the most creative and dynamic way that's going to have the most significance and relevance in terms of impact on the world where it demonstrates to them what they're capable of and provides a pathway for them to confront their fears and overcome that and access their full power and creativity so that they can then be expressive in the same way. And for us to meet on that level, that's what I desire. When I place that at the forefront of my priority in terms of, okay, what are we doing here? And if something gets a bit confused or a bit tense and a bit wrong, 
My reset is re-establishing priority. Priority is I am a creative being, you're a creative being. We have desire to want to be expressive of that. <laughs> we have a shared desire to want to create something together, even if it's dinner with my partner <laughs> <laughs> or a business or whatever it is, you know. The thing that is most important here is my ability to connect and share where both or more parties, perspectives are validated, considered, respected, included, and thrown into the mix to create something. And then everything else that comes of that is like a secondary, you know, yay. Mm. But what is primary is the process, is the how. And I say, life is the process itself. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting too, because it relates to being mindful in the present moment, because that's all you have, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're attached to the results and you're not really staying present, are you? Mm. You're thinking too much in the future and, and fixating on that. Yeah. So we, but you can have a healthy attachment to outcome. You can even have expectation. Only to the extent though, because expectations hold each other accountable because it's also trendy to say, I'll have no, let go of all expectations. <laughs> Good luck with that, by the way. <laughs> we all have expectations and expectations are really important for us to, to draw boundaries, to be very clear about how we're to interact with each other mm -hmm. in some consistent way that demonstrates respect and awareness. Mm -hmm. So expectations are important. It's to the degree that we are rigidly attached to our expectations that determines the degree to which we suffer, which leans heavily into the, into the Buddhist and even Vedic perspectives. Then when we look at attachment, we just need to recognize that healthy attachment is not constantly having to convince ourselves that we don't care what happens. <laughs> you know, I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens in order to feel safe just in case what we really want to happen doesn't happen and then we suffer. Right. It's a subtle thing here. We've got to find the middle ground. Right, which is what I struggle with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Healthy attachment, not extreme non-attachment, because that creates disassociation. It does. Mm -hmm. You feel guilty about becoming invested in it. You, be, you feel unsafe about fully investing in something. And what we want to do is to be able to have the degree of stability of self-awareness and a sense of who we are, first and foremost, that despite that thing not happening, I'm totally fine. And it's less about not being attached to outcome. It's less about anything happening out there and more about how am I with myself in this moment? If this doesn't happen, am I okay? Yes, of course. Will it hurt? Maybe. Will I recover? Yes. Okay, that's good enough. And that's the middle line there. Mm -hmm. Not looking for some perfected, pristine, black and white outcome in the way in which we bring ourselves to things. Mm -hmm. And I see so many people getting tangled in this very thing, particularly those that have dived very deep into monastic traditions that are traditionally for people that don't want to have anything to do with the world. Right. A lot of these traditions do come from times where relinquishing any association to the world was the mode of operation. And a lot of the practices and philosophies came from that mentality. Now, it's very important that we're able to distinguish 
any parts of that philosophy that might compromise the relevance of us being in the world and having desires and wanting to participate. And this is where we can often feel conflicted in ourselves, particularly when we're diving deep into these traditional bodies of knowledge. And it requires a degree of discernment to distinguish, okay, that part is really the monastic part. And, you know, that's not for me. But this part, this is brilliant. And this is absolutely going to support me in being all of me in the world. Was that helpful? Yeah. Gives a lot to chew on. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. One thing that's really not spoken about a lot is that some of the, some of the traditions and lineages have both a monastic side to them and a householder side to them. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are great masters that lived as householders with families and children and participated in society and interpreted the knowledge for householders. And then there were great masters that were monastic that would participate and adopt much of the same practices and philosophies, but they subtly altered between them to accommodate. You know, what does it mean to relinquish ego and relinquish desire, but yet live in a world where you have to be clear about who you are, define yourself, and be clear about what your desires are in order to clearly achieve something. Sure. How do I reconcile that? Mm-hmm. And this is a big conundrum that, you know, a lot of people in the West are facing, immersing themselves in these Eastern practices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is probably a subject for another podcast that, mm-hmm. that I'd love to dive into in greater detail. But there is a clear logic there and is a, a, a very simple way of relating to our desires and our sense of self that doesn't require us destroying either of them. Mm-hmm. It's developing a relationship of healthy attachment to them while simultaneously establishing a solid foundation of self. Mm-hmm. That what I refer to as establishing being, mm-hmm. establishing an experience of what we are beyond our ideas of who we think we are, Sure, which is a very interesting thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Once we've established that sense of being and we come to know ourselves as an abstract experience, then we can trust ourselves in our relationship to our desires. We know that our desires are not going to be hijacked and utilized as something, as, as fuel for acquiring something outside of ourselves to fill a void. That void is already filled because I know who I am. Sure. Nothing I know as a result of knowing who I am that nothing out there is going to give me a sense of wholeness or completion. And it challenges us to check in with ourselves on why, why do I have this ambition? Where yeah. is that coming from? You're constantly asking ourselves why. It's is it so ego-based or is it because, you know, it's something selfless or mm. whatever it may be? Yeah. So to, you know, bring it all back around to answering your question about overcoming this urge to need to be perfect and how to reconcile um, attachment with non-attachment. What I always teach is trust your intuition because it is natural. Trust your creative urges because they are natural. And constantly ask yourself, what is motivating this? And I don't believe in the concept of pure selflessness because whilst ever we're in a human body and we're interacting, there is always self-present. There can be the intent to give preference to 
serving the needs of others over the needs of our own. Mm. And I think that's what that teaching points to, where the majority of my effort is about considering your needs over my own. That's an act of selflessness, we can say. And surrendering to your desire to want to create and participate and know that it's not about what you achieve, but how you, how you go about it. That is laying a foundation for you being more approachable to interact with and to learn from. Because ultimately, when we have this desire to be of service, as far as I'm concerned, it's the most precious and important predisposition. Absolutely. Stepping into the world. And it's the thing that's going to liberate us. And so what you have to offer the world just in that is so important. And it doesn't really matter what you do. You could be a beautician. You could be a, you know, a shoemaker. You could be a garbologist. You could be whatever you, it doesn't matter. And this is very Zen as well. Mm -hmm. You gain enlightenment sweeping the floor. Yep. Chop wood, carry water. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't matter what you do. It's how you do it, how you're bringing yourself to it. And your attachment is just the, the attachment you describe that brings you worry. Am I going to, you know, succeed is just the remnants of old belief systems that your self-worth lies in your achievements. Your self-worth lies in your very being. The fact that you exist pre-qualifies you for absolute <laughs> worthiness. Mm. And this is the big thing, right? Mm -hmm. And when we can surrender to that, connect with that as reality, then the innocence of our creativity is there, natural humility, natural humility, not practiced humility, mm. just innocent humility. That's the only real true kind of humility there is, actually, sure. by the way. Mm -hmm. Practice humility is like not real humility. <laughs> all, all of the qualities that we love about ourselves that gives rise to everything you desire emerges out of that knowingness that you are extraordinary by your very nature. And that's all that you need to qualify yourself mm -hmm. to live in that way. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> It's so important to be reminded that in our pursuit for maximizing our capacity to remain connected, stable, coherent, and joyous awareness, and to overcome the affliction of suffering, which is generated by an overattachment to things, that we, by our nature as humans, become attached. It's learning to distinguish the difference between a healthy attachment and an unhealthy attachment. And this is something that happens moment to moment. We have to remain constantly awake at the wheel and regulating our relationship to any experience or any aspiration that we have. Special thanks to our show producers, Trevor Exter and Sean Tomlin, music by Ali. Special thanks to Andrea Stern for allowing us to record all of our sessions in her beautiful studio and to all the One Giant Mind team. Thank you for listening and being a part of One Giant Mind. If you don't already and you're interested in learning to meditate, an easy free way is to download the One Giant Mind Learn Meditation mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. The best way to learn, however, is from a teacher. And if you're interested in learning the One Giant Mind technique, email us at teachers at onegiantmind.com and we'll help you find a teacher in your area.
If you're a passionate meditator and the idea of becoming a teacher is something that inspires you, consider becoming certified with the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Program that I've developed. The certification program is 100% online and can be done on your smartphone, laptop or tablet anywhere in the world. Teaching could be one of the most fulfilling experiences because you're having such a meaningful impact in people's lives. If you're interested in enrolling and would like to receive a special discount, email teachers at onegiantmind.com and mention the One Giant Mind podcast to get a great discount. Finally, if you enjoy our show, please share it with your friends and give us a review because it improves our rankings and helps others find this podcast. And I really hope you can join us for the next episode.